What's up, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of the Sunday League Screamers podcast. I'm your host of today's show, Steve McCutcheon, along with my two co-hosts, Michael Nellen and Vito Anazelli. We have another great show for you, but before that, please take a moment, hit the bell and subscribe to us on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, and wherever else you find your podcast. Also, give us a follow over on Twitter at the SL Screamers underscore pod. Let's just jump right into the show, guys. We have some news and notes from around the world. Uh, top one right there, we got Claudia Ranieri stacked by Wofford. Roy Hodgson steps in. Um, good move or just a you know, name brand head coach coming in. I think it had to be done. It's, it's kind of, I like Claudio Claudio Ranieri. I mean, he's obviously the people's, the people's champion after what he accomplished with uh, Leicester city. But I mean, if you look at the results in his, in the last nine matches for them, I think they've lost like eight of those nine or, or something to that effect. So I, I mean, the results were there to dictate it. They move into the relegation zone after this last week's um, results. So I don't. I would have liked to see him get a couple more games, but I understand the sacking. Roy Hodgson. I mean, this is the most classic guy to come in when a team's in relegation battle. If you're sacking a manager, like he's the he's the top of everyone's pick list. It's like yeah, his only and, job. Him and him and Sam Allardyce. Him and Sam. Big Sam. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So basically, um, Big Sam should come in take a team. We got Hodgkin and we got Sean Dyche at the bottom of Burnley right now. That'd be a hell of a relegation battle. Out of, out of curiosity, three specialists out of those three. If you if they were all three managing, do you think one of them could outmanage the others, right there? If hypothetically it happened, I know you're going to say Son Dyche number one. Um, I hate to agree with you. I'd probably pick Dyche as well. I'd probably pick him as well. He's done like four seasons in a row at this point. <laughs> <laughs> it's so. seriously consistent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. I would I would probably take them solely based off the games played right now as well because I, I do think they're actually truly above where they should be or they're way below where they should be I guess and with the games in hand realistically they're probably sitting in 16th I would think but again damn game, that's that's know. mean to Everton <laughs> I mean you have you watched their games recently not that mean I try to avoid it when possible brutally honest but brutally honest yeah moving on um, this was an interesting story out of Manchester. Um, they waived the loan fee in order for Martial to go on loan out to Spain, but they refused to do the same thing for Lingard, who leaves for free in about six months or so. Uh, do you think this is a punishment for not extending his contract? And if so, right move by Man U or kind of a bad, bad, um, bad business move, I guess, for the future signings? No idea why they did that, to be honest. Um, if you don't want the player, why not just get him off the books? And the player doesn't want to be there and play. Why not just get him off the books? It's not good for anybody. I don't. I get they want it for depth, I guess, but oh, I, I just I, I don't see the reason to not let Lingard go join unless they view it directly that he'll go to West Ham and spoil their chances for a top four finish. I don't, I don't know. Well, I, lately, the the talks have actually been Newcastle. Or yeah, that's what I was going to say. I I think it's smart what they did. I mean, from a business perspective, it's smart. Not from like a, a player's perspective, obviously. But if you, if you Mike, to your point. If players start getting injured, especially with United not being in the driving seat for these top four positions at this point, you're going to take the players that you can get um, and the depth that you can get. But Newcastle offered $10 million just for a loan. Did if they're going to lose him for free in six months, wow. you're better off just paying him for six months, which isn't going to break the books given that the amount of money Manchester United makes. And Newcastle really wants him. They're going to take him off their, their hands for free. I'm sorry, before the six months, so it's not free. And they're going to have to pay more than that $10 million. And we know Newcastle are in a position where they need it, and they have the money for it at this point. So, to me, the move makes sense for Manchester United. But, I mean, you don't want to see a guy 
spend another six months just sitting on the bench just because it's like, well, instead of 10 mil we're going to get for you, we're going to get 15. Like, it's kind of like, all right, guys, just let the guy go. But I think it's smart from, for United. Either way, you get him for six months in case you need him with injuries, you have him. And if not, well, you know you're getting the money for him from Newcastle. I think what's interesting, too, with United is as of this morning when we were recording, there was talks from Fabrizio Romano, too, that there even might let Donny Vandenbeek leave to go to Crystal Palace on loan. I did see that. VR really wants Vanderbeek. So I'm kind of intrigued what they plan on doing with Lingard then. And if they're kind of shipping out that mid, the Donny Vandenbeek, they're shipping out Martial, you know. I'm not going to lie. Him and Connor in that midfield for Crystal Palace, I would gnarly. love to see that. Yeah, Holy that'd be shit. fantastic. I mean, they've wasted his talent for too long. I mean, I, that's one guy that if, like, if you're talking about comeback of the year like he's got to be in the thoughts if he if he makes a move out of try, outside of manchester united like he's got to be on my list i honestly thought it was a good move for him to go there too i really i really didn't I did too. think it was a bad like it was going to turn out the way it did but it's really unfortunate for him yeah um last bit of news just kind of touch on a new loan rule that came out so chelsea is very unhappy um <laughs> they're the pissed clubs, big mad big yep. big mad um clubs are only allowed to have six players out on loan uh by the time 2024 comes around, talents under 21 are considered homegrown players and are, and are exempt. So, yes, you know, there is some sort of a way around the rule, I guess, when it comes to youth. But you can't really just necessarily buy up a young common player, loan them out a shit ton of times, and then just profit off them later. Like kind of Chelsea's business model has been for God knows what, 10, yeah. 15 years at this point. Mm-hmm. So definitely going to be interesting to see how that plays out um, and for other clubs around Europe as well. I, I like it. Like that rule. I, I like it a lot. I think it provides a lot more. Um, I guess one you could say stability for other clubs who want to keep hold of their players and not necessarily feel like they're threatened to sell directly to give them a chance to fight for promotion and things like that. And then two, from a player's perspective, they're not going to be put in this cycle what you were just talking about, where they're just constantly getting loaned out. They're not getting any stability on their end, right? To be in the first team, to make those connections, right? Have that chemistry on the field, maybe for like for a year versus being at the club for X amount of time and prevents player hoarding at the end of the day. So yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I mean, I'm all for it. Loans are designed for these young guys, you know, to go out and get some experience. I mean, how many players do we see in this day and age that are 21 years old starting for most of the club? So I think it makes complete sense. I, I am curious to see how they're going to handle that when it comes to January, the winter transfer window, because most of these clubs, especially the big clubs are going to be sending out six players on loan guaranteed. So when January comes around, look at Manchester United right now, if they want to send out Martial on loan, they probably already had six players out on loan. Is that going to be is, mm-hmm. is a January window going to be kind of an exempt period for that, where you can send out maybe two or three extra, depending on not getting playing time? Because if not, they probably got to keep a couple in reserve for when that time period comes around. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Plus, I mean the whole the whole reason a loan system exists the way it does and how it's supposed to be used is I have young players in my academy, especially like you go for like the top tier teams like the Premier mm-hmm. League. I have a bunch of 18, 19, 20-year-olds. Instead of them playing at the reserve level, I want them to get the first team playing time at, at the right. professional level. I send them down to the championship, League One, League Two, whatever it might be, and I bring them up into my uh, my first team eventually. But a lot of teams, like we've, we've mentioned Chelsea, and there's plenty of other ones in Europe that do it as well, where they hoard a bunch of players, loan them out constantly, and profit off them a different way. So I do I do really like the rule. I think it will avoid player, player hoarding plus – potentially more of a resource uh, i'm trying to think of the right word more resources for the mid to lower tier clubs and like the top leagues too that they can get more quality players in there and not have to compete yeah i agree 
I think that I'd like that six to go up to eight, in my opinion. But outside of that, I think the rule's great. That's fair. I mean, yeah, listen, I think they'll tinker with it. I don't, I don't think it's, it's, it's definitely a move in the right direction. I, I just don't see it being a one-time thing. It's going to be more of like, okay, this works now. It's kind of adjusted maybe right. two years from now and kind of go, go forward. So let's move on to stars and stripes though, real quick. So where we check out the United States men's national team standout performances over the last week or so. Uh, the biggest one, I mean, come on now, Josh Sargent, not even has played two goals. I might have a bias here, but potential goal of the season on the scorpion kick or not. Or, or no, no, it, 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 was, it wasn't, it wasn't that beautiful. A- it was not a it, it was definitely not a goal of the season, but for his season, definitely yes. the goal of the season. Um, the only goal is yeah. <laughs> one of two. One of one two. Of two. Hey, come on now. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously it's great for him. I mean, a lot of talk out of Norwich is how hard that guy works, especially on the field. And you know, the chances weren't necessarily falling for him in particular. So to see him finally get those goals and see the elation from him, the fans at the end, the USA chance. Right. That was yeah. electric. That was um, awesome. It was it was pretty incredible to see. So very happy for him, and hope he hopefully he continue that form for not only himself but Norwich to keep him up. So yeah, I thought the best part of this was literally it was like an hour after the roster the roster release for the World Cup qualifiers, Steven. and then he just drops two goals and he's like, "Suck it, bro, Halter." Yep. <laughs> um, interesting enough though, they actually been playing him a lot at right mid recently instead of the striker position. So kind of. You know, he was brought in to score goals, maybe play right winger or something like that, but he's actually dropped into the midfield uh, of late. So curious to see what happens going forward. Curious about this. So I was reading in the deep, the deep web of Twitter that a few people in the USA Twitter sphere have mentioned Josh Sargent as a potential eight and not as a striker. Like a true, like maybe like a box to box midfielder. What do you think about that kind of position for him do you think he could adapt into that and maybe that's like a position where he should be playing honestly it almost feels like it's more it might be more natural for him not thinking about i I worry about his dribbling with the ball at his feet carrying it over those distances that's my that's my concern with that i i think it could work i i would personally like to see him sitting behind a number nine like more in the center forward role like a like as a fall that type of false nine behind the striker Mm -hmm. i think that's more natural for him than a box to box mini in my opinion I don't know. That'd be interesting to see. I, I kind of, I kind of, uh, what? I'm Wherever they played him last game, just leave him there. Just leave him there. <laughs> right, man. <laughs> Done. Uh, next up, we had James Sands got his first 90 minutes in for Rangers, 7, 7, uh, 0.0 match rating, 82% passing, seven duels, one, two clearances, five recoveries. Good to see him get his first, uh, first minutes over there, uh, for Rangers. Uh, was a big name after the Gold Cup this summer about possibly getting a transfer moves. He had a really good, really good run of, uh, form mm-hmm. in that tournament. So cool to see that. Not going to sure what's going to happen after the loan expires, but we'll go from there. Um, last but not least, Anthony Robinson, 7.3 match rating, uh, 90 minutes played, four accurate long balls, five duels won, four interceptions, and six recoveries. I feel like we could pretty much put him in this category almost weekly. But um, yeah, I'd say the one person you're missing on this list, too, that we haven't mentioned, Eunice Musa scored a banger of a goal versus Atletico Madrid over the weekend. Um, two, three. Uh, they lost three. To they two, lost three to two in a heartbreaking yeah. fashion, to be honest. But the goal itself, I mean, pure quality from him. He's speaking of box to box, pure eights who can just dribble the ball. That dude's a unbelievable talent. Unbelievable talent. Yeah, and I, I think in addition to that, one that we spoke about last week was also when we were talking about transfers, especially was uh, Brendan Aronson and potentially getting a move outside of uh, Salzburg into the Bundesliga. And obviously, he's been linked heavily with uh, Leeds United. As of recently, I know they were buffed the, the first bit and they're, they're talking about coming right. back for another one. Do you think that'd be a decent move for him? I think it fits play stop perfectly. 
right? Yep. I mean, is there a better team to go for if you're going to play offensive uh, offensive style of football? Probably not. Apparently, the, the improved bit officially came in. They, they pushed it up from 15 to now 20. So, I mean, that's a pretty, that's a pretty good number for a guy that age, still te- like quote-unquote unproven. Yeah. I think he'd thrive. In, like, Do you think he has the physical abilities, though, at this point in time to play in that league? Because I feel when we watch him on the national level, I think he gets bumped off pretty easy and go not he doesn't go down easy, but just gets bumped off the ball relatively yeah. easy compared uh, to like I think he's got guy. he's got he's got to put on some weight. Yeah. A little bit. I think Lionel, Lionel Messi would prove that wrong, but I think we're talking about he's also right, he's 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 like yeah, humans he's, here, not aliens. He's a, you know? he's a freak. All right. <laughs> A little different. <laughs> Listen, I'm not saying Aronson isn't is amazing, but come on now. That's a, that's a rough <laughs> comparison to make there. Let's, uh, let's move on from the USA Talks. we got a lot to uh, cover for the international break coming up. So let's move on to our weekly recap. Just uh, checking in with all the Premier League games from across the last match week. First up, we had Brentford 1, losing 1 to 3. 3 to 1. I don't know why I said it that way. Uh, to Manu. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Three straight across. <laughs> good result for United. It seemed to be a theme of the week for them. They were leaving results until later on. Uh, it was, I think it was 0-0 going into the second half, but um, they were able to find an opener, I think, in about the 55th minute or so. Aganga, Alanga uh, scoring the opener there, and then United from there just opened the floodgates up a little bit. It was um, it's good to see Martial getting – not Martial, excuse me, uh, Marcus Rashford getting back in the score sheet after, you know, being off there for so long. It was still a bit of a dodgy performance from United on their part. I don't think they they – outplayed Brentford to the level of the lineup of what that dictated. But again, these teams, these big teams, I mean, it's not about how you play. It's about how you finish. And they ended up running out three, one winners. And it could have been three Oh, if not for even Tony in the last, in the dying minutes, bundling in a, a last minute consolation goal. Um, De Gea again, just proving his worth this season to this Manchester United. He's came up he's huge. huge. I, I'd be huge. curious to see if there was like a statistic out there that said, out of the saves De Gea has made this year, how many points they would have not gained from him being in goal, right? Yeah, well, it's, big saves, but yeah. You know what I'm saying? But, yeah. like, I mean, he's been by far their player of the year. Like, it feels like 2018 De Gea right now at this point in time. I mean, he's he's just – a his shot-stopping ability right now is just through the roof. I mean, for the most part, so he has been. But I, the, most, of these, most of these saves that he's making, in my opinion, are coming so early in the game that if he doesn't make these unbelievable stops and United start trailing, they don't recover the points that the whole game they're scoring is scoring after. You know that, what I mean? Yeah. yeah so the, yeah. the timely nature of them are, are just as valuable as the stops themselves, you know? Um, so in my opinion, I mean, player, player of the season for them at this point in time. Yeah. On a side note too, with Brentford, not that it's man, you game related, but links of them signing Christian Erickson, which would be, phenomenal if it comes true um on a total side note but if that they're able to pull that off i think that could really help them with their season too yeah i heard they agree agreed uh what pre-contract and i saw he was training with uh ajax Ajax. in the meantime to keep his fitness levels up imagine him sending balls into tony that's (laughs) yeah (laughs) i mean (laughs) they're probably one of the few teams willing to take the risk on him after the after the uh cardiac the uh, yeah cardiac arrest and the uh, euros Mm -hmm. yeah well hopefully all the best for him Agreed. Next up, Mike, I'll let you take this one. I think you're very going to smile in a second here. Spurs 3-2 winners over Leicester. God damn, what a game. Um, Spurs, for the most part, I mean, they really took it to Leicester. Granted, Leicester was missing a bunch of defenders, a bunch of players for various reasons. They tried to get the game called off. 
Um, but fate would not allow it. And with that, Spurs initially went down 1-0 on a little bit of a deflected goal from Pats and Daka. A couple minutes later, Harry Kane would equalize. And then a little bit later on into the game, probably around like the 78th, 75th minute, something like that, James Madison got a nice little reverse through ball set back to him by Harvey Barnes, slots it in past Hugo. You're thinking, okay, oh shit, game's over. But who to the rescue but Steven Fucking bird and Thank you for reading that. Yeah. And God, <laughs> and part, you pronounce what, a, what a great performance by him. Yellow card pretty much as soon as he comes on or pretty close to it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then he immediately comes in and scores the tie, the tying goal and the match winner to round Schmeichel and put the ball in the back of the net, which to be honest, a phenomenal, phenomenal finish because he had Soyanchu running yeah. behind him as well. I'd have slotted in the corner. Um, it was definitely one of those wins for Spurs that felt like a turning of the tide moment in a sense, especially for Conte, where he really has them believing in what they're doing. And you get the feeling if they get the right pieces in place, big if there, um, again, something something's building. That was at that point in time, I believe that was nine games unbeaten for them. So. Yeah, I, I, I thought he scuffed that finish on the on the game winner initially. But I mean, that was perfect. That rolled off the inside of the post, I believe, too. Yeah, it did. I mean, it unbelievable. Was he was, you can see one thing that I, I, I liked about that game in particular. I mean, Stephen Bergwine in particular. Sometimes with, with Spurs, I feel like you get a little bit of um, a downtrend on the attitude. The mm-hmm. moment he came on, it was like you could see the fire in his eyes through the TV. Like it was unbelievable. Like no one on the field wanted the ball and wanted to score as badly as he did at any given point in that match, even though he was on for 10 minutes. Um, I thought that was a really good, good sign from him. That, that's coming off the back of what? Uh, a sale to oh. Feyenoord, I believe it was? No, no, no. There was a lot of a lot of talks about him going potentially to Ajax. Ajax. And they were, they were you know talking about bidding like 15, 20 mil for him. And he comes in and does that. Um, yep. Definitely says a lot about his character, especially given the fact that throughout the season and kind of his Spurs career, to be honest, he's suffered through injuries. He's kind of gone in and out of form and not necessarily been able to keep himself on the field. And you've always thought once like those one or two goals comes in, like per, in like a one game and another game, he's got to just click, you know, like he hasn't yeah. had that real opportunity. And it kind of felt like that coming a moment, age of moment for him. Agreed. Okay. Next up, uh, we had the Friday night game, uh, Norwich three. Watford zero. Um, we already kind of alluded to it. I mean, Ranieri got sacked, Sargent two goals. But I mean, for the most part, did you guys not think Watford kind of played better? I thought they were the better team for the entire game for the most part. Right? It was kind of a weird scoreline to me, or at least it just felt like they, they got hit on the counter a few times. Sargent, you know, I mean, great finishing by him. Like, it really kind of a goal out of nothing. Pookie knocked over one defenders, got it, did the little mm-hmm. scorpion. But realistically, I didn't think they played horrible. Granted, over the last couple of results, lost to Norwich, draw against uh, Newcastle. It, these are kind of things that just lead to a firing. I mean, they're on their third manager now for the season. Wouldn't be shocked if results got worse and maybe went on to a fourth at this point. Who knows? They're yeah. pretty notorious for sacking people. So, uh, but yeah, nothing really else kind of in this game. I just, it felt it felt like a weird, like an unjust scoreline for the game, the game flow, but good for Norwich out of the relegation zone. And who knows where they can go from here. Yeah, I mean, it didn't seem like the um, the I don't the form of Watford really took a downturn when when Ranieri took over. Like, 
I thought Watford have been playing well and just haven't been getting results, which obviously comes down to like it, you hire, you get a manager to get your results. That, that's the name of the game. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter how you win. The fact of the matter is that you win. But I don't think Watford played, have been playing bad overall. Like, yeah, every once in a while, you're going to get a blowout here and there. I mean, when you go up against a team like Manchester City or something, it's inevitable for most teams, you know? Um, I I don't know. Like I guess before, I still think it was a little bit premature to sack Ranieri. I don't think it was pre- I don't think it was premature because they are kind of getting more dire. I was actually more shocked when they fired Disco Muniz more than anything else. Like yeah. I, I didn't think he it didn't it didn't seem like he needed to be fired right away. But no, it seemed like they saw Ranieri out there ready to accept and they thought, yeah. oh shit, let's bring him back for good old times. And he pulled Lester out of that situation <laughs> so he could do the same for us. And it just didn't work out that way. Like, oh, they probably they probably the should they yeah, exactly. <laughs> that seemed that's it seemed like that was their thought process. Yeah. It's very possible. See those big name, big name, big name managers sitting on the sidelines. Uh, next up, we had Southampton, Man City, one-one draw. Yeah, City dropping points. Liverpool. We'll get to them in a little bit, but you know, picking up some points. Um, yeah, it's an interesting game for them in particular. Southampton. We've alluded to this in the past. Have historically played the big boys, the quote-unquote sit big six teams really well. They always play with a big passion, big heart. In this game in particular, to be honest, they look pretty up for it. In particular, Kyle Walker-Peters scoring an unbelievable goal from a team goal outside of the foot finish. I think he was kind of like maybe 18 yards away on the right side. Uh, went right past Ederson, had him sprawling for thin air. Um, unbelievable goal by him. And then afterwards, you kind of get the feeling that you know they were just holding on for dear life and praying that nothing would come out of it um, or they'd be able to get the points. However, you know, City being City, Laporte gets a header in the 67th minute, does his best impression of, a, I guess you can call it break dancing with the weird little like, <laughs> like hand movements yeah. he was doing. Like he was at like a rave, but you know, respect, <laughs> go for it, dude. Um, but yeah, I mean, City probably could have come away with that game. They probably should have realistically, but all in all, um, great performance by Southampton for City. Might they rue this moment? Maybe, but you know, I think the gap is still pretty pretty intense for Liverpool to catch up that at least closes closes a little bit for a title race you know I mean game in hand right plus they have to play each other still it's yeah. it's not impossible no not impossible I still don't think a, it's likely but not impossible I mean, yeah big, especially big with that potential Mane, and, Mane injury today you see that no I didn't the Afghan Cup Mane um had a a really really bad head collision with the goalkeeper goalkeeper was sent off he decides he's like, fuck it, I'm going to keep playing, and then scores an absolute cracker and then has to leave the field like 10 minutes later because he's like, I literally can't play anymore. That's terrible by the medical staff. But... Yeah, I said the same thing. Jesus. Do you guys actually see um, him and him and uh, Salah got matched against each other for World Cup qualifiers? Yeah, one out. of them aren't going to be in the World Cup. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who would you rather have in the World Cup? Salah Mane. was there. Let's go Mane. Mane. Plus, I think Senegal are a, a better team than Egypt. Senegal would be a better yes. better team to watch than Egypt. I would yep. agree with that. Then we had Manchester United and West Ham. Yeah, I kind of alluded to it before when, we, when I touched on that last Manchester United game. They've been leaving games um, late to get the finish. And, I mean, there's very few very few things later than a 93rd-minute winner. Um, to be <laughs> honest, this game was kind of a little bit of a lackluster affair going into this match. You know, it's West Ham and Manchester United both vying for that third and fourth spot. Uh, in the Champions League, you expected them both to come out swinging, but truthfully, it, there wasn't a lot of great chances during this match. It was lacking a little bit of quality on, on the ends of everything. I think there was maybe a total of 
like three or four shots on target the entire match combined between the two teams. Um, but ultimately, uh, it was a good combination play from Ronaldo to Martial to Cavani, three short little passes, all vertical within like a space of 10 to 15 yards. And Cavani fired one across the, the net for Rashford to um, tap it on the back post. So he got a second goal in two matches and it lifted them ahead of head of uh, West Ham. So good performance by them. I mean, I mean, not good performance, but great result. I mean, I think that took them higher than uh, or just on the cut. Co- yeah, don't no, just higher than West Ham in the table after that result. Yeah, just higher um, at one point. Yeah. And with one less game played. So, I mean, this this is a little bit disappointing for West Ham. Obviously, this this kind of feels a bit Lester-ish. Uh, how they're they're sitting up in these these great positions in the table, but they just can't maintain maintain the, the speed to stay there. Um, this happened last year when Chelsea pipped them for that sports spotter. Maybe it was two years ago. I can't remember. So last year, yeah, yeah they're they're really going to have to get it under control because that's that's two straight losses for West Ham now, and that's uh, two straight wins for Manchester United. So they seem to be two two teams just going in opposite directions at the moment. Can we yeah. all agree here that that goal was offside? Like, let's let's be. They real. say VAR like, checked it. Like he was off. Like, come on. I I'm sorry. At first glance, it, I I can't understand how in the previous games throughout this year there have been things called for so much less, and yet Cavani can stick his head over on you know the edge of this dude's shoulder hypothetically in this case, and he's onside. Now, like I said in our group I, chat with Harman, I, I don't understand that. There's no consistency. Know. Had they angled those lines, I just don't get it. <laughs> My thing is like at least it's show like us the lines that you're looking at. They didn't even show the lines. Yeah, they the always game. at least like no, it's good. Like, it. come on, like that was bullshit. They didn't yeah, show yeah. it at all. Like, I I'm thought sorry. he was on size initially, but I was watching a couple of replays and it did look like he was like just, 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 just a fraction. I guess I it think, depends on how they spot it, right? But I think this is why Manu was loading all these players is because they're taking these wages and giving it to the officials in the bar <laughs> room at this point. <laughs> Whatever gets the job done. Hey, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying, I've heard. So. <laughs> but in all, in, all, in all honesty, though, yeah, massive week, like Vito said, for Manu. I mean, six points. That was exactly what they needed because they were dropping down there pretty heavily. Um, I don't know if you guys remember before the season, we ranked, like you kind of like we tiered all the teams here. We had our top four. Yeah. And then right below them was West Ham at that 1A range, 1A, 1B, whatever you want to call it, um, because we we didn't think they'd have the consistency in order to get into that top four, and we're kind of seeing that play out right now too. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a lack of depth for them. Yeah, They're tired deep. legs. Yeah. Then we had Leeds nil, New, Newcastle one. Uh, Leeds controlled the possession throughout most of the game. Dan, Daniel James almost scored a shot. Dubravka did well, but it was really – John Joe Shelby, that stole the show with a massive free kick and three points for Newcastle. Pulling them, was it just one point below uh, Norwich now? I forget how many. Yeah, one point from safety. One point, one point from one safety. Point. So. Yep. With a game, with a game in, in hand. hand. Yeah. yeah, so good for Granted, him. When you Maybe. win two games all year, is it going to matter with that game in hand? <laughs> Who knows? But <laughs> if, if John Joe is knocking in free kicks like that, man, anything's possible. Yeah, I, I was looking at it. We talked about this last week. I think I wrote it down or we, we discussed it. Um, no one's dropped more points from winning positions or from a point gaining position than Newcastle this year. I think they said if it wasn't for like, like losing games after they were winning, Newcastle would be like in like 13th place or something ridiculous. So, I mean, good for them to at least snatch it at the death. You still think they go down? You guys have been saying that they're they're your definite team to go down, but I mean, one point off it. Until, until they sign somebody legitimate. In a sense, like I don't know if Chris Wood is going to be the savior up front that they need. Kieran Trippier is a great signing, but 
you know, as a right back, I'm not sure how much he's going to be influencing the game uh, in that position. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I really don't know. Well, he, he did this. I mean, he just helped get the um, that clean sheet against a free, a free flowing Leeds team, even though they're not really scoring as prolifically as they're used to. And, but yeah, no, I, I hear you. I, hear you. I still think they get out of the relegation zone. It'll be interesting. It, it felt like a step down for Leeds, though, because they, they just got a couple of good wins, wins on the bounce and stuff. So, unfortunate yeah. for them. Kind of, I don't say want to drag them back into uh, conversations. I thought they got they elevate themselves enough of a little bit more separation from the uh, bottom three, but a couple more losses like that, and you, you're right back into a dogfight. Then next up, we had Brentford versus Wolves. Wolves are hot. There's there's literally just no other way to put it. I mean, Wolves are on a scorcher. That's four wins in the last five matches, and I think the only game that they didn't win it was a, a draw against. Chelsea, nonetheless, one of the third place team. So they are moving extraordinarily fast in the right direction. We talked about at the beginning of the beginning of the year that there's three or four losses or they're just generally poor, bad form in the beginning. It wasn't indicative of the performances that they were putting in. And I think they're finally starting to reap the benefits of of their play style and the way they're performing. I mean, oh, yeah. there was no shortage of, of bangers in this match, too. I mean, Ruben Neves scored a goal that was a little bit reminiscent of the Kyle Walker's Peter goal outside the boot, about 18 out. Just completely took the keeper off his, off his line there. Um, and then later on in the match, Ivan Tony leveled it up. It was, it was supposed to be a red card, initially given as a red card, but thank God for VAR this one time. They stepped in and realized that it, it wasn't a red card. Um, I believe his name is Tito. Is that his name? Tito. <laughs> Tito um, for, for Brentford and they overturned it, but the resulting kicked in was lofted about 40 yards to the back post. And Ivan Tony just connected so flushly with the volley to send it into the bottom corner to level it up. Um, but it didn't take Wolves that much longer. And maybe five, seven, 10 minutes later, um, Ruben Neves just collected a, a good, a good passage of play from Wolves in the top of the box and just hit a beautiful curler into the bottom corner to see all three points for uh Wolves and they're just flying right now. I mean, good for them. They're up to, they're in their eighth place in the table right now on a glorious, glorious vein of form. And I mean, even though they're only two points behind, they're two points behind Tottenham, they've only played one extra game. So, I mean, anything's up for grabs at this point. I think you have to consider them for that Europa League spot. I think maybe top four is out of their range, but I think they're serious contenders for Europe still. They're definitely serious contenders for Europe. They're hitting form at, the peak and optimal time in all honesty. And I've been on the train with them since the beginning of this year um, after watching the way they play under Bruno large. And I think he's a phenomenal coach the way he has the team set up and moving in general. Um, it was just a matter of time at the end of the day. And like you said, four out of five wins. I mean, right now we're probably one of the best teams in the Premier league. Yep. Yeah. Typically this winter stretch anywhere from like December all the way through January is when a lot of teams start dropping points. Uh, <laughs> Just the schedule, like the amount of fixtures inside the schedule, it's very close in in uh, in days, like to each other and stuff. So this is when teams drop points, they're doing the exact opposite, picking up a bunch of them. So um, that that could be the difference maker come you know April May when the uh, final games are there. Yep. Uh, then we had Everton, Ashton Villa, Villa one 0 winners. Um, couldn't have been worse for Everton at home. I mean. <laughs> You, you just transferred out Lucas Dignay, Dignay, and he just absolutely put on a beautiful cross in and it's pelted in the face for it. <laughs> Steven Gerrard and his old arrival stomping ground only to get a goal scored or assisted by 
the player they just sold. That I don't know about you guys, that hurt me to watch. Like that yeah. was brutal. I, I'm not. Su- I'm surprised there hasn't been like a legitimate riot at Mary's side. Oh yeah. Like I, Mary's, Mary's exactly, you, you know, tomato, tomato, whatever. <laughs> but um, at the end of the day, like that ownership group, I mean, if you think about it too, the past couple of years, the amount of money they have spent, the people they've brought so in, the managers, it is like, unbel- it, it's unbelievable, like in yeah. all honesty. And I, I, I don't know how like that group of fans, like I feel for them as a Spurs fan, like that is shitty. Like that's, that's real shitty. We said so. it after um, after Benitez got sacked. Like it, it didn't seem like it was the managerial the managerial seat was the problem. I mean, it's not like the, the the best lineups not being placed for the most part week in week out. Like, it, and now Rafa's gone. Who's there to blame? Like, it, it's the players. It's the players not showing up week in week out. Like, those are the people who need to be looked at by the fans. Like, I mean, yeah, obviously you have to sack your manager after the results that they've had, but you sack your manager. Results don't change. You're playing your best lineups. Results don't change. Whose other fault could it be? I mean, it's not like they don't have a ton of talent on the field. Supposedly. I mean, you spend that amount of money, but it's, I don't, I would say the returns have not been there. Not at all. Are they serious relegation candidates? No, I I think they have too much talent still, like in all honesty, in that team. But I mean, they're cutting it pretty damn close right now. So I don't think they're, I don't think they'll end the season at, what are they at 16th right yeah. now? I don't think they'll end there, but I don't see them breaking. I don't see them breaking 12th, to be honest. No, I don't, I, I don't see, I don't them, see them breaking 13th, to be honest with you. I, I don't think they're serious candidates. Like, I mean, it's impossible, in my opinion, not to say that they're candidates because they're only four points from safety at this point after 20 matches that they played. But I, I agree with Mike. I think there's still enough there. And especially considering you have to say that with the thought that the teams below them have the capability of winning enough games to send them down. And I don't see that. That's the other issue. Yeah. 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 So I I think they will be fine, but I mean, they're, they're not going to end up in, I don't, you know what? I don't even think they'll end up in 13th place. I think four, uh, 14th would be okay at this point, just avoid it. And that's it. Yeah. They got some serious soul searching to do over the summer. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, no, they are. They're gonna be in a rebuild, reload, whatever you want to call it. Do you, Absolutely. Do you think that Richarlison's stock has dropped? Obviously, it has, but like tremendously based on the team's form. Or do you still look at Richarlison and go, anyone that comes in for this guy is gonna pay fifty to sixty for him, given his age and given his talent? I don't. I don't think they'll let him go for anything less than. No, no, but hi- hypothetically, because like yeah. most of the times when when team performs badly as they do, the stock drops for the players. It's inevitable. It's just a, a cause effect relationship, but. For me, I don't think this affects his stock at all. I think he's still a 50 million pound transfer regardless. Mm. Um, what were the offers coming in for him? Was it this past summer or the summer before? They were about there, I think. They were right around there. Maybe 45, 55, somewhere, somewhere in that range. I think they'll need at least that to get rid or to, to offload him. Right. Yeah. I mean, a proven Premier League goal scorer. Yeah. He's still relatively young. He'll he'll get at least forty million Brazilian, but yeah, that that jacks. That's another five right there. Yeah, Ta- five to ten. Maybe ten. Maybe ten. Top. <laughs> Got tattoos. All right, yeah. it up. sold. Absolutely sold. <laughs> tattoos. 
Moving on, we had a massive win for Chelsea. Two uh, winners over Spurs. Sorry, Mike, but not really sorry at all. Vito, take the helmet. Mike, cover your ears. It's happened again. It's happened again. No, no. Um, Dos a cero. <laughs> no, uh, good match. I mean, it, it feels a little bit reminiscent of last year when Thomas Tuchel had Pep Guardiola's number beating him three times in a month and a half, two-month span, one of those being the Champions League, obviously. Um, and it, it, it feels yeah. the same way with Spurs right now. I, that's the first time since 2013, I believe it was, and the, that a team has beat another team three times in the same month. That hasn't happened in like a decade, basically. I don't nice. setting records. I like yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hang that banner up, baby. Yeah. <laughs> going going into halftime of that match, I really thought that Spurs were the happier of the two teams given the possession and the pressing style that Chelsea were trying to implement upon Spurs. And I thought Conte, Conte set his team up perfectly to uh, – the Spurs up perfectly to counteract that and maybe find some mm-hmm. opportunities on the counter. And the moment the second half started, I thought that immediately paid dividends. Um, that goal was disallowed by Harry Kane for that slight push in the back. That was bullshit. Silva. For me personally, hot, hot too bullshit. soft. Hot bullshit. Yeah, I, I personally think too soft. But the fact of the matter is the hand was in the back and – Tiago Silva is one of the absolute smartest defenders on the face of the earth. And he has been for the last imagine, years. Imagine if that was a penalty called against somebody. Was Ima- it that been imagine, worse. Imagine, worse. imagine if that was reversed. Yeah, no, I, like, I'm, I'm under the opinion that that goal should have stood personally. Right. I completely agree with you. I think it should have, but this is what happens when VAR, you know, every, everything else is still to hand the back to big call. I get it. I don't agree with it, though. Was it much different, though, from when Pookie bodied off the no, one, the one defender from when, when Josh no, started scoring? No. I don't think so. I thought, even, I thought Pookie even hit him harder. I thought the main problem with the challenge was – not the challenge. The main problem with the call, the decision, was that Thiago Silva was running as fast as he possibly could through his, o team, his, uh, his A team back to net. And I think that reg- if Harry Kane didn't even Any slightest touch just is gonna whistle at him, him I don't think he would have got there on that pass. I think he still would have been slid behind him and it still would have been the same outcome. So that's my main problem. But Harry Kane should be smarter than that. If you know you're going to receive the ball, why are you putting your hand in the defender's back? That That's that's a mistake. Regardless. Like that's like a natural, like. I know. I know. I, so I know I'm a Chelsea supporter, but I do agree with you. I think that goal should have stood. It would have changed the entire match. I think if that goal does stand, Spurs go on to get a point, if not all three, in my opinion. Um, but up steps Hawking Ziyech, what, seven minutes later? Yeah, it was with a bomb. A- goal of the week by a landslide, probably goal of the month in my opinion. Just a perfect curler. That thing was hit so well, I didn't think it was going in. <laughs> like, um, and then from there, Tiago Silva, header, put it in. That was that, and that was all she wrote. I didn't think it was a bad performance by Spurs. What do you think? It wasn't a bad performance, but it definitely underlines what they need to do in the transfer market yeah. and what Conte is probably expecting from Levy and Paratici. But, you know, without going into it in too much detail, um, like I said earlier, I think that was the 10th game that he's played in the Premier League with them and nine out of 10 on beaten run. I'm yeah. taking that all day. And if I ha- we happen to lose to Chelsea, we happen to lose to Chelsea. It is what it is. Yeah. I mean, Spurs are still in a, a fantastic position to snap that fourth spot up. I mean, Two yeah. games in hand over United, and they're only two points back. So I think you, that game, the blip. If you're, if you're gonna if, lose one, this is it. You have to remember too: no Sun, no Romero, exactly, no Deer. Like 
missing yeah. a lot of players. So yeah, not going to cry about it. No, I, but I, I did think you guys played well the first half. I think, I think your game plan in particular was exactly where it should have been. And it's unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. I feel you. I agree. <laughs> um, Good comment. There one, Brian. <laughs> Thanks, <Steve. laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm cutting that out. <laughs> not much to write back with in this Leicester Brighton game. Um, it was uh, very surprising to say the least. Brighton get a tie. I mean, out of curiosity, what's more surprising? Brighton getting a tie or Leicester blowing the lead? Um, but they didn't lose. Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> Jeopardy doesn't have an answer to that question. Okay. I don't, <laughs> but that being said, I mean, once Lester scored, um, you know, DACA got the opening goal. Um, it was a really nicely taken goal actually, uh, right after the kickoff Brighton eventually came back, snatched the equalizer. Um, I, I guess you could say it's, you know, what both teams deserved at the end of the day. Um, I don't think either will be too upset with the results, but, um, yeah, it is what it is. So. I think that's two good results for them because the one match we didn't talk about that was way earlier on was, excuse me, uh, Brighton's 1-1 draw with Chelsea and then to Leicester, a 1-1 draw. I mean, the two really strong teams, you think it's a good good outcome for them on both those matches? Do you think they could have got more or were they a little fortunate? Mm. Eh, I'd say it's probably right where they should be. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. 12 draws for them, man. Good lord. <laughs> Your boy Daka, though, showing up there, Mike, when uh, Vardy's out. I think uh, yeah, he's not quite breakout player of the year yet, but he's 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 producing now. No, he's he's the future. Mark, mark my words. That dude's gonna be an animal in a year's time for that team. He's the future, he's an animal. Quote it up, put it down, Mike Nolan. Put me on freezing put cold takes if I'm freezing wrong. cold takes. <laughs> freezing right cold there, takes. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Uh, next up, we had Palace one, Liverpool three. Vito, take it away. Yeah, that was a that was a really good match. Um, we were just giving uh, De Gea all the plaudits, but I think Allison deserves just as many, if not more. I mean, he Massive. played off, off the top of it, uh, stood on his head the entire match. Liverpool went up very early, within 32 minutes, they were up 2-0. It was a bullet header by um by Van Dyke, crossing by Robertson, and, and Robertson actually had the second assist as well to send them up, but. Credit the Palace. I mean, Patrick Vieira has them playing so incredibly well, just a very attractive brand of football, and they just took it to Liverpool. There were four or five massive, massive opportunities, like basically one-on-ones that yeah. Allison was like Gandalf, just you shall not pass type shit, you know? <laughs> and just, it, like, it was it was unbelievable. He, 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 in my opinion, won them that game. Because at that point, it's 2-0, right? And finally, the pressure paid off, and Palace were able to, to pull one through and make it a two-one game, but if not for that, I mean, that game is two-two, maybe even three-two. Palace, they uh, they got so fucked. Yeah, with that VAR. With That's that exactly VAR where I'm going with that. It like, wasn't really sealed until Liverpool got their third. Trent Alexander-Arnold played. Maybe it felt like he passed the ball three miles in one kick on a dime. Basically, <laughs> it was unbelievable pass cross field, nonetheless. Um, and Diego Jota tries to bring it down. You think he's going to get a shot away. He takes a touch and he, he kind of clatters into uh, Gaita, the, the goalkeeper for Palace. And initially nothing was given. VAR takes a look at it for what felt like, not felt like it actually was about two full minutes of VAR looking this over. 
and they finally send the referee to the, to the screen and they award the penalty. Um, if you get a chance to go back and look at it, Jota takes the ball down and attempts to shoot the ball, completely misses, and the ball rolls away from him so fast, there's zero chance of him recovering and getting to the ball. He's already about two yards from the end line, three yards from the end line, and then the contact is made, and they decide that was enough to give the penalty. In my opinion, the complete wrong call. You have to look at VAR and go, why are you taking five-plus minutes to make a decision? It's supposed to be an obvious error, which in my opinion is not, and apparently to them it's not. And then they award it and the game sealed at that point. Yeah, it was, it totally changed the dynamic of the game. It was complete bullshit and it really ruined what could have been and probably should have been a, a Crystal Palace comeback. Cause they, at that moment in time, up they until were moving. that bar call, they had him on the ropes. Ropes. Like, like absolutely, like, yeah, they were fighting for their life to not give up that second goal. So it's, it's a shame because Palace probably deserved to be back in that game and one terrible VAR call. Um, <laughs> I guess you could say that about a lot of games this year, yeah. but, <laughs> but um, this one in particular, terrible VAR call cost probably crystal palace a point realistically. Um, and it's a shame that Jota kind of looked like he jumped into the keeper a little bit and mm-hmm. decision went their way. I guess you could say the premier league script writers, you know, they saw city drop points and they go, Hey, we got to get Liverpool. He some the hat, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I think this might've been one of the unluckiest performances by a team in the entire year so far, because if not for Allison playing maybe the best game in net that we've seen in the Premier League up to date this year, and that call, that's easily a point, maybe three. It's Palace, yeah. Draw would baby. Been, draw would have been there. Uh, last but not least, Arsenal Burnley. Actually, not very least. Actually, I'm just kidding. Um, nil, no draw. <laughs> not too much to discuss here. Arsenal is desperately need a new number nine. Anything else to add to this one? I mean, Aubameyang seems out the door. Lacazette, probably the same thing. You know, only three goals for him on the entire year. Yeah. Um, I'd be curious to see who they sign now that they were never in. I don't think they were ever in the contention for signing Vlaovic. But, um, yeah, I, I'd be curious to see who they target as, like, an actual number nine. Rumors of uh, Isak, of, um, I think it's, like, Atletico Bilbao, or I forget the team he plays for. But I think he potentially could be a good signing up top or um, – Maybe Martinelli, he plays as a winger, but I think he has that capability where he could be pretty dangerous. So um, they have some some decisions to make up top. So yeah. definitely. I, I'd like to Bobby see a, is free. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'd like to see a stat. That that makes it four games in all competitions in a row that Arsenal haven't scored a goal. Granted, two of those are against Liverpool in the EFL semifinal, and they got a red card in both of those games. <laughs> but you're talking about a game against Nottingham Forest and a game against last place Burnley. I mean, I, I've never seen a more clear indicator of where you need to strengthen. <laughs> On a side note, can we just say how epic it is that Thomas Partey came off the plane from Ghana <laughs> and then a minute later got a red card in that game? Like, that's some serious shit. Right there. Just as epic as Granite Jaka collecting his 45,000th red card for Arsenal. Do you, do you think, like, he has it in his contract? Like, they're like, all right, if you get a red card, like, we're going to give you an extra, like, 10K or something. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it feels like at this point. Yeah, no, I mean, good good result for Burnley, though. I mean, what they, that's what they do. Every point counts. That's what they do. Every point counts. Yep. Grind it out. Last but not least. Again, I don't know why I just said that. Wow, I'm really off today. Um, before we finish the show, let's head over to the international break. We got the United States men's national team back in competition again. Uh, we got three games for the upcoming week. It's three games in about seven days. 
Um, first up, we have El Salvador on Thursday, 7 p.m. at home, Canada away on Sunday, and then Honduras at home to end the match weeks, uh, the match week at um, on Wednesday. The biggest takeaway, a couple big omissions, in my opinion, at least, we had John Brooks wasn't there, Joe Scali, Buzio, uh, P-Folk again. Sergeant, eh, I mean, completely reasonable given his form. I mean, yeah. just last game is when he really kind of broke out. Yeah, yep. Uh, Conrad has been playing as well, but it was also now a hurt. Um, I just like to see him on the wing personally. I think he's much better one-on-one than some other wingers that we have. And uh, Daryl DK, unfortunately, is now hurt as well after his first uh, appearance for West Ham or West Brom. Sorry. Um, does some of the missions I thought you guys have any other names that kind of stood mm-hmm. out for you? No, that that's kind of was my initial thought as well. Um, I thought Scally was a mistake. Uh, I obviously I think I think PFO's a mistake. I mean, we've talked Ooh. about him a couple times week over week that he's putting in good performances. I mean. I don't know what else he has to do at this point. I think at this point, Berelter has an infatuation with Zardes. And I was all for Zardes for a while because I think we need that more physical number nine at times to bring in a little bit of a target man that you miss, that Josie Altendorf type that we've had. Yeah, that's, that's, what, that's what P-Folk is, though. That's exactly, exactly my point. Exactly so, like, it, I'm like, given the form that P-Folk's in, it doesn't make sense to me to bring in an aging Jassy Zardes when you have the future in P-Folk here that could potentially fill that type of role that you need. That, for me, was the biggest biggest omission um but i think conrad was a mistake as well given the injury prone nature of some of the other players other players well conrad's also hurt now too he just it just, just uh just came up some just happened and, yeah muscle tightness very 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 recently like in the it's last day or two last time um yes he has been playing as much for marseille recently but it just again in my opinion i think he's much better going one-on-one kind of like a he looks very similar to brendan Harrison on the left but he he's just on the right yeah so the my only the, those are my glaring missions. I, I just I don't want to keep harping on it. We see Paul Paul Ariola, Linjet, Jordan Morris is back. Okay, it's great. It's great to see him back, especially the injuries he's had. But yeah, do I think he should be there ahead of P Folk no. in that striker no, position? Not even close. I, I like, never. That's that's I, I don't know. So, um, what do you guys think is a successful window? In my opinion. Six points is a minimum. Wins against El Salvador and Honduras are an absolute must. They're both at home. They're in seventh and eighth place, respectively. Six points and three points. Um, the Canada game, obviously, we're going away. It's going to be cold. It's going to be fuck. freezing. No but... Alfonso Davies, though. No? He's he out still? I believe he still has the heart issue. I don't think okay. he's going to be playing. I mean, in my opinion, a point away to Canada and those two and two other wins, I, I would take that every day and just walk out of there. If we can, if we can somehow pull off nine, which I don't see possible, it's very difficult to do in, in one window. Great. Six point minimum, seven points. I'm, I'm happy. Six I, for me. I would agree. I think going to Canada is going to be a whole hell of a lot harder than people realize. And they're probably saying, they're in first of, place. It's not. It's not I, 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 yeah. I know, and I, that's my, that's what I think is like. A lot of people still don't believe the hype about Canada and the players they have. Tejan Buchanan, Alfonso Davies when he's healthy, Jonathan David. Like, I mean, they Jonathan David debatably he's probably the best, you know, striker like in Concacaf right now. Yeah. Like, I, I would honestly say that this is their golden um, generation. Yeah, like they they are a team to me- be messed with right Agreed. now. Um, and like I was saying, even like long-term, I think at the world cup, they're probably a dark horse team to do well. Um, I think that game in Canada is going to be tough. It's going to be fucking cold. Um, definitely the wins against Honda El Salvador wins Honduras much needed. They have to happen at home, um, playing in our element. So 
six points, I'm I'm pretty happy with seven. I'd be very happy with. Yeah, so. and not not to echo Mike too much, but I mean we're we're playing the bottom two teams in the league. I mean combined in their last ten games, El Salvador and Honduras have one win in ten matches. Ten matches. Of those other ones, seven of those nine are losses. You have to pick up those six points. I mean, looking at the table right now, 15 points for the United States is good in second place, but Mexico and Panama are at 14, right? Yeah. Top four teams are going through. Below that's Costa Rica at nine. You pick up six points here, you You're almost guarantee much, yourself yeah. where you need to be, especially considering one of those matches is now, the second time around is coming as Canada, that first place team. So you're done playing them. You yeah. get United States should and have to be El Salvador and Honduras. If they do, they might as well just punch their ticket to the World Cup at that point. But it, it, it's, a, it's a must win, must win games. I agree. What, um, I mean, El Salvador, granted, listen, it was first, it was the first game of the World Cup qualifiers. We were away, very mm-hmm. young team, very inexperienced. So yep. I understood the result. I wasn't happy with it, but I did get it. Um, this is a good game to judge Greg off of fixing the lineup and what he's learned from playing this team in the past, in my opinion. Let me, let me ask something. For instance, let's, let's say he doesn't do exactly what we expect with the lineups. Right. And the match against El Salvador doesn't come out correctly. Given the form of El Salvador and where they're on the table and the talent that the United States men's national team has, at what point do you start looking at a bad result against El Salvador on the players back instead of Greg's? Because to me, regardless of what lineup he puts out, out there, we should win. This that, UST, yes. yeah, they should win. Period. There will be heavy rotation. We said three games in seven days, right? Regardless, right. like no yep. one, unless you're like a def, like a center back, maybe they got right. you're not typically running miles on miles. Um, no one's putting in three ninety minute shifts, really, and probably no. saving your best starting lineup for the next game against Canada, who's in first place, because you want to pip that spot. Yep. So I, I wouldn't be shocked if we saw like a couple. Big names, not starter. We see subs in like the 40 at halftime or the 60th minute relatively early on just to kind of save some legs. That wouldn't shock me either. Also, depending on the scoreline at that point. Would, um, would you start Pulisic in the El Salvador game or maybe use him as a potential super sub, give his legs a rest that way he gets a full 90 against Canada? I would not. I would not start him off the bat. I would. I'm with you. The, I would give him the full ninety against Canada. I'm with you. Um, on that. I think. I think if you can knock points because you're expected to win that El Salvador game, right? Right. But if you can steal points against the number one team right now in Canada, then and pull vault the United States into that position, then why would you not do that? Save your best player for the best game right. at that point. So unless you need to put him on that field. Yeah, I'm, I'm also thinking El Salvador is going to have to be incredibly physical. And they know, I think they're going to know that in order to, to break this national team down. I mean, if you, if you bring in players like, um, not Robertson, uh, Brendan Aronson, who are, who are, you know, not used to being pushed around to that degree, that's how you're going to get to this United States team. Um, especially if Zardis doesn't start, you know? Mm-hmm. So I don't know if I'd even want to risk that Pulisic injury in a game where you know they're going to be knocking him to the ground at every given opportunity. I think at the end of the day, though, like this game, hopefully it should be over by halftime, but it's going to yeah. be one. In, it's going to be one in the midfield, and hopefully it's like a McKinney, Adams, Musa, just trio. They just blow through them in forty-five minutes, and then they just start subbing people off at that point. Well, Mike, it's the U.S. We never finish it by halftime. <laughs> <laughs> we leave it, we leave it late on, baby. Four golden stoppage time. That's how we do it. <laughs> That's true. Very true. 
What um anything else though kind of from the window that you guys are expecting or hope, hoping to see? Formation wise, player player personnel wise, who's paired up with who? Dest for me, right? Dest Dest was selected. I don't know why I can't be one hundred percent positive about that, but. Given everything that's well, going on, for in Barcelona, it, it was questionable. Yes, exactly. Given everything that's going on in Barcelona, I would like a statement match from him, not to just fall by the wayside in this match. Get forward, create opportunities, play that type of wing back attacking role where you can track back and forth and do what he needs to do. Because questions are being asked from him in Spain, and that's why there's transfer talk from him. So I think this is a good opportunity for him to prove that I'm playing teams that I should be rolling over, and I'm going to put in performances like that. So I would like to see him really take control of whatever flank he starts on because you know he's play on both sides and um and really own own the match michael yeah. anything else no i think just the big game i'm circling in my mind is the game against canada i think that game will be very telling of where the united states is at mentally as a team um to go up there play i think they're playing in like edmonton or something like yeah, that they are. Yep. yeah like it's the freezing con- there the condition condition edmonton or ontario Either way, it's it doesn't it matter. Way. It's January. Yeah. It's like negative forty-two. I mean, it's going to be cold, and to see, I want to see the reaction they have uh, playing in those elements. You know, against a Canadian team that's that's hot right now, like really, really playing out of their minds. And um, it'll be interesting to see how the defense, in particular, is able to cope with you know Jonathan David and a couple of the other offensive players they have. So you were right, though, Steve. It is Ontario. Ontario and just to okay. put it in perspective this game's on what is it Friday no it's not Friday uh it's Saturday Sunday 3 p.m eastern wow Sunday's gonna be warm actually it's gonna be 23 degrees is the high damn <laughs> it probably feels <laughs> like summer they might be shirtless fans there that's during the day though so it's probably gonna be 12 <laughs> <laughs> yeah suck it up yep anything else to add fellas um, nothing other than the fact I've been asking, thinking about Mike's question about what's more likely a Brighton draw or Leicester dropping points. And I'm going to have to get back to you next week because I have not <laughs> been able to come up with an answer. <laughs> Love it. And that'll do it for this episode of the Sunday of the Screamers podcast. Like, comment, hit the bell, and subscribe to us on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, and wherever else you find your podcast. Give us a follow over on Twitter at the SL Screamers underscore pod for daily tweets and updates about the show and world football. I'm your host, Steve, with Mike and Vito, signing off.